0: If you would please open to Acts chapter 3. We look at the first 10 verses of this chapter with a miracle that I love reading about. There's a, a Donut Man song, a song in a Donut Man video from years ago that my kids watched and watched and watched and watched and so every time I read walking and leaping and praising God, it's the song. I have to do that. So if I just start clapping that way, (laughs) because we sang that a lot. Let's look at God's word together. Verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Lord, can we please be filled with wonder and amazement at how you Go after the, the deeper needs in our lives rather than the surface things. Help us understand how you shepherd us. Help us understand how you love us so we can see your power in miraculous ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have all been, remember malls? Remember those things that we used to go to before things were delivered to our houses? Um, you go to a mall and see somebody with a clipboard, and usually walk the other way because they wanted some information. And they always acted like, "Oh, this is just to help us. This you can have this for free." If you like, no, nah, there's always a catch, right? There's always a catch, and so you're wondering what's the catch. Years ago, uh, when I was still a, across the lake serving at Lakeview Christian Center, I, I did Next Generation Clubs, which are uh, pizza clubs in high schools during the day, during lunchtime. And I remember going to uh, schools in New Orleans, and we'd bring pizza there, give it out for free, but the only thing was we'd just ask that you listen to whatever the message was. It was usually what situation is going on in a teenager's life and how do we apply God's Word to it, but it was a great way to share the gospel every week with teens. Uh, Well, as we were giving out the pizza... (laughs) I remember so many times the students would go, it's free? What do, what do you want? They, it would like the simple, it's Just hey, just listen to the message that we're going to give. That's it. And they didn't believe us. Like they were suspicious that it was too simple. I mean, no, 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 this is something else that you want. Free pizza, all I have to do is listen. There's always a catch. Well, Jesus doesn't come with a catch, sort of, because... When I was in college, I heard this phrase that has stuck with me: "The gospel is free, but it will cost you your life there 's an aspect that this is a free gospel, but yet it calls for everything that we are. You know last week we uh, I quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a German pastor during World War II. In, in one of his books, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, he said when, when, Jesus come, when Jesus bids a man come follow him, he bids that man come and die. Come lay down your life. Come sacrifice for the glory that's bigger than anything we can uh, stir up for ourselves on this earth. And in this story is a story about a man who got so much more than what he thought he needed that day. He just needed some money. Can you just give me some money? He was resigned to his condition. He was lame, and lame from birth. Now, how many of us would like, to, would like Jesus to miraculously change the lameness of our lives? Yeah. Now, we have to, we have to define lame the right way. You know, every, remember when you were a teenager... Even it was back during the Stone Age. It, you, just, you remember when you were a teenager and everything was lame, right? This is just so lame. This is so lame, so boring. I can't stand this. Like, we want Jesus to miraculously change that. But sometimes he doesn't come by our definition of lame. He looks at our lives and he says, What could use the power of resurrection life in you in order to become a praise for others to look at? That a lot of times is not what the need that we have and we're more in touch with. It's a deeper need. And this is a story about Jesus going after, after a deeper need in this man. But he does the same thing in us. Because there are, there are areas of our lives that we're resigned to. We're just resigned. That's never going to be better. A relationship, a marriage, a relationship with a child. It just, it's never going to be better. It's paralyzed. It's just spiritually paralyzed. It's not going to move. That's what Jesus wants to come and touch. And the people around us, that's in our own lives, but there are people around us that are dealing through their lame situations, their paralyzations. It could be spiritual paralyzation. They're, they're, they're lost. They do not know Jesus. They are unbelievers. And if they die in this moment, they will face an eternity apart, oh, apart from God's grace in his judgment in hell. So the people that were around, those that were walking by daily, do we see their spiritual need or do we see the physical need maybe that they want addressed that we might have an opinion about? This is a great passage because Peter and and John don't give away a miracle. You know what they're giving away? Silver and gold, I don't have. What I do have, I give to you. I give you Jesus. So this, in our witness for Christ, and particularly with dads, we're going to include with a, a, an application point for dads, but we want to recognize we, our lives and the witness of our lives are about giving Jesus to others. We want to give out Jesus like it's cold water on a hot day. We want to give out Jesus to everybody that we're around. The first that we do that, uh, and that we see what Peter and John did, is they just simply, they did what Jesus did. They they followed him for three, three and a half years and they remembered what he did and said, well, let's just do what Jesus did. Peter and John replicate what they saw Jesus do time and time again during his ministry on the earth. Now look, Jesus' ministry on the earth didn't end when he ascended. He's doing his work through the disciples, through the apostles, through the disciples. That means today, church, he's doing his ministry today in us and through us for the praise of his glory. So we can shine as lights in the world. So he's doing this work through us. So what did Peter and John see Jesus do that they're doing? They were just around people. Jesus was accused, he was judged by the religious elite for being around the people. You're around the unclean. You're around the sinners and the tax collectors. If you knew who this was, you'd put these people far from you, Jesus, like we have learned to do. No, he was around those people. He put himself in position to be around people, and this is what Peter and John did, and it was for the temple. They went to the temple, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. It was the prayer time right before the evening sacrifices. So they're showing up, there, but they're intentional about who they're going to be around, because they know people need Jesus. And so they're intentionally around people who need to hear about him. We need to be around people. They also discerned the need, just like Jesus used to do. They noticed this man who was seated. He was probably around other poor people at the beautiful gate. This gate was uh, that shows that it was it was decorated in bronze, and it was called the beautiful gate because it was so ornate. It was just it was a spectacle to see. Most of the people going in there, and usually the rich people want to go by the pretty stuff, and so they put the lame out there to ask for money because it's the rich people coming. They don't go to the dung gate because the poor people come in there. So now, the the strategic and where he's placed, but they come in, they noticed a lame man who's asking for help, but they recognize that the help that he needs, he doesn't even recognize the depth of his spiritual need. So, They recognized a need. They discerned that need and they reached out and touched. Now, COVID has done a a weird deal for us in that we're afraid to do that touching sometimes like we just have done. As the church, we need to be okay with that. Hugs and... Because we're showing a world. We, We lean into relationships and we lean into what God is doing. But... They they reached out, took him by the right hand, and raised him up. Peter saw Jesus do this numerous times. One of them was with Peter's mother-in-law. Remember, she's sick with a fever. Jesus comes, heals her. It says in Mark chapter 1, Jesus took her by the hand, raised her up, and she began to serve them. Now, I, I like to call that the gospel in a verse. The touch of Jesus raises us to new life, and then we serve him. Jairus' daughter, the same thing. Remember, they're, they're, they're pressing through the crowd. The woman comes. Jairus says, can you please come help my daughter? They're pressing through the crowd. A woman comes, touches him. is delayed. Jairus is like, we've got it. My daughter? I know this lady probably needs healing too, but my daughter, he's in touch with his need. <laughs> so finally, Jesus, hey, I've got control of the situation. It's okay. goes in, talitha kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. Takes her by the hand. Raises her up. So Peter is just doing what he saw Jesus do. And he went out and did this in a place that was risky. He also spoke with authority. And it's the authority of Jesus, not a self-made or self-defined authority. He's not like, well, I'm something because I'm an apostle. No, he, it's in Jesus' name. And there's a difference in how Christians use Jesus' name authoritatively or as authoritarians. Authoritarian, think dictators, think somebody who just commands constantly. A lot of times we have that impression of Jesus, that he's just commanding us and we're never good enough. And it's just more and more. And look, you see some Christians, or some people call themselves Christians, operate out of this authoritarian, you're going to hell if you wear that, if you look like that, if your hair looks like that, that's, they're, they're taking an authoritarian approach to the, the name of Jesus and the word of God. That's not how it's intended. It's authoritative. It guards us because it's the final authority. When we try to take Jesus and his word and uh, authorize ourselves to do something and command something, we've misused the word. But when we recognize, no, this is all about Jesus, we can speak with an authority that's his not self-defined. It's grounded in who he is. But this all took a lot of risk because Peter and John didn't have a guarantee that this man was going to be healed, right? But yet, they discern, they stepped out in faith, and they said something really bizarre. Rise up and walk to a man who has never walked in his life. Lame from birth. I mean, this... His feet are strong. Can you imagine? He's like wobbly and stuff. Yeah, that probably happened. He's never walked before. And so what do they think? Uh, we're lifting him up and um, they just, they discerned, but they, they knew their lives really weren't on the line. It was Jesus that would come through. And I think the discernment has a big part in that. But to stir us for risk, and sometimes we just get a little, a little too comfortable, a little too settled in our security. I call on John Piper to help us from his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He says this in his chapter, chapter 5, called Risk is Right. Very helpful chapter. He says, the tragic hypocrisy is that the enchantment of security lets us take risks every day for ourselves, but paralyzes us from taking risk for others on the Calvary road of love. Feel that. We take risks for ourselves, but why? To pad our security in life. We are deluded and think that it may jeopardize our security that in fact does not even exist he says the way i hope to explode the myth of safety and to disenchant you with the mirage of security is simply to go to the bible and show you that is right it is right to risk for the cause of christ and to not to is and not to is to waste your life application point for dads it is good and right and noble to provide for our families and our children. But when we elevate that security and provide a secure environment for them, when we elevate that to the ultimate thing that we live for, we are missing out on what we are to pass on to the next generation. What do your children feel from your life? Do they, do they feel this risk, this, all that matters is Jesus. That's all that matters, and that's all that I, that I want to matter to you. It's all that matters. Because if we, if we are passing on a security that's not grounded in Christ, in an identity in Christ, we will raise up children who will be confused about the gospel. They'll, they'll know how to make a lot of money. And get a a temporal security from a bank account or investments. But are we willing to risk everything for the preeminence of Christ for our children? Now, John Piper in that chapter goes on to talk about a few different scenarios where risk happened with the people of God where they didn't know the outcome. See, we have the uncertainty of not knowing what's going to happen. God is certain. He knows what's coming. He's planned for it. He's organized it. He's strategized for it. We don't know what he's thinking. And we feel, God, if you would just help me, please, by letting me know a little glimpse of what's going to happen, that would be really helpful and secure for me. (laughs) And he says, trust me, I got that. You don't need to know basis right now. You don't need to know. So we trust him. But he points that out with David's life, and, and this should be a little slash with Joab in 2 Samuel chapter 10. David and Joab are going to fight a battle and they recognize that the amount, I forget who exactly is, so I don't want to say who it is, uh, the enemy, they're on both sides. Joab splits the army. He says, all right, I'm going to take half. And his younger brother, he gives half. And he tells his younger brother, be courageous. And may the the Lord do what seems right to him. They were looking at something that they didn't know. They didn't have assurance that they were going to win. They've won a lot of battles, but this time they didn't quite have the same assurance. But they said, may God do what seems best to him. Remember the story of Esther going in before the king? If I perish, I perish. She's putting it all out there, risking for the name of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before King King Nebuchadnezzar. Our God is able to deliver us. They didn't say will. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, we will not bow down to worship you. We choose death over that now we can relegate these things to Bible stories that were not in the Bible so that that was for them we might not face furnaces physically but you know we face those furnaces emotionally, mentally and spiritually we face those furnaces and sometimes we just don't know how it's going to go and God says trust me But we have to do the work of discerning and understanding his authority and be able to walk in his love. Now our confidence to take risks comes from the truth in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from God's love. Look, our embarrassment cannot separate us from God's love. Our Asking somebody how they're doing to, in, in, to, to try to share the gospel and they shut it down, that does not separate us from God's love. Remember, we, we want to preach the gospel with our lives. We also want to look for opportunity to preach the gospel with our words. So, church, we want to do what Jesus did. Seeing people the way he sees people. I appreciate the way that Kerr prayed for Dads, a moment ago, to see what Jesus sees in our children. Uh, this verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. Remember, this is what they saw Jesus do. Here's some evidence for what Jesus did. Matthew 9:36, when he saw Jesus. The crowds. He just didn't glance over. He saw something deeper. Why? He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They weren't in that moment being harassed by the Romans. He knew that spiritually because he saw past the physical into the spiritual. Matthew nineteen twenty six. But Jesus looked at them. Said with man this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Same thing in Mark 10 27. But look at Mark 10.21. This is when Jesus looks at the young ruler. Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come. Follow me. There's something in Jesus' gaze as he looked at people, that we as his disciples need to learn. We need to learn to see what Jesus sees. Because when we do that, we see a true need. Peter and John didn't see the money that the man was looking at. The man thought his biggest need was money. Because he was resigned to the fact that he would never walk. He'd never even experienced it. But they saw a deeper need. Now, this... Because this miracle is there, I don't think this miracle saved the man, but I do think we have clues that this man was a believer in Christ. Because he was, his response was walking and leaping and what? Praising God. I think there was something about his faith that combined with what they were telling him to do was what God was doing in that moment to authenticate the message of Jesus and his power because he was resurrected. And so I I do think there's a both-and going on there. But what Peter does, he looks past the physical need into the spiritual need. And this is just, uh, if, if this man's a believer, it's just God being gracious to him. Just being gracious. I want to be gracious to you and heal you of your lameness. Remember in Mark 2, when... Jesus is teaching in the house and uh, four friends bring their paralytic friend and they can't get into the door and they go up to the roof and they're tearing through. It's like two and a half feet of dirt that were the roofs back then. And so they're digging through, digging through and they lower this man in front of Jesus. What did Jesus say to him? Rise up and walk? No, he said, your sins are forgiven. And, all, and What are you talking about? Sins are forgiven. It's a paralyzed guy. Sin is not the issue right now, and you're making yourself God by doing that. He says, yeah, you're putting all these pieces together. That's good. But he says to him, what is easier? To say, rise up and walk, or your sins are forgiven? It's easier to say, rise up and walk, in Jesus' component. So that you know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your bed and walk. Like, Jesus blowing minds constantly. But they saw Jesus say that. Then coming up with new verbiage, they like, well, Jesus, you did this. I'm going to trust that you're going to do it again. But I, I and what was... I have, Peter said in verse 6, I have no silver and gold. I don't have the security that culture says is required. But I have Jesus. And that's the biggest need. May we not get so distracted by what we think we need temporally by the relief that we want from finances. May we just see the true needs like Jesus does. Because we also need to see the praise that's going to come to him afterwards. Remember, Jesus uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You ever wonder, what was that joy? What joy did he have? I mean, that, that's weird. To talk himself into, this is going to be great. No, it's the cross. He's in the Gethsemane going, Father, if there be another way, please. But not my will, your will. He knew what was coming. So what was the joy that was before him? The praise of the Father. And the inheritance that we are, the inheritance that would come to him from the nations. To do what? To praise the Father. It was Jesus' joy in his Father's will Knowing that praise would be the result as myriads and myriads from the nations, and we learn that in Revelation, are standing before the throne, exalting Jesus. Oh, we need to see the praise too. We need to see what the outcome will be when God does a miracle. God, this miracle is for your praise. This miracle is for your renown. It's for your fame. This miracle is for you, God. It's not for us. That's why Peter and John weren't just doling out miracles. No, they were giving Jesus away because that's the miraculous part because praise and hear this man. This is a miracle. He, you know, how horses when they're born, they start to walk within minutes. It's like crazy. They start to walk, but they're all shaky and stuff. I think this guy was the same way, but look, I don't think it lasted for very long. Leaping up, He stood began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And the people saw him praising. And they asked, what was this? Hey, weren't you the guy that I just pressed? See how God works all that praise out? And so I think it is, it is right and helpful for us to be able to say, God, I want to expect some miracles in my life. So others can see it and praise you. So I have more reason to praise you and others have reason to praise you through my life. See, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, they said, hey, teach us what you're doing. The first phrase that he teaches them, our father who in heaven, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, praised is your name. Your name is set apart. Your name is worship. Your name is praised. So Jesus instructs us, even in our prayers, to do it with praise. Because God is about that, but it's for our good when we praise him. So, third and final thought, give out Jesus. Give him away. But give out the wonder and the amazement at his grace and his love and his power. And fathers, this is for us. Oh, just give Jesus to your children. Give Jesus to your children. May they see, as Kerr prayed, may they see Jesus' love and Jesus' patience and Jesus' meekness and Jesus' gentleness. Uh, Meekness, uh, I like to think about as uh, strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. But... We are to be weak because it's when in our weakness that his power is perfected in us. And so dads, just give out Jesus to your children. Give out Jesus so we all can worship and praise him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we want you to be the focus of our gaze. We want you to be the focus of everything. Because we know that when you are our focus and you are exalted, uh, Jesus' weights are lifted in our souls and and, and our souls are settled with your peace. But Lord, I ask that you would comfort us today too. Comfort us, uh, particularly dads who may be more in touch with failures, Comfort us uh, for those whose dads are no longer with us. Comfort us, Lord. Just comfort us. And I pray that we would feel your fatherly love and care. And and with that comfort that we are comforted with, we would go out and comfort others. As a, a praise of your glory and your greatness. But God, we continue to ask, will you do the miraculous in our lives. Please, surprise us with your glory. Surprise us so that we are amazed and we wonder and we are in awe of who you are. And God, I pray that would become a lifestyle change for us in our, our connection with you and our desire to live for you and our, our, the glory that we seek would be yours alone. So, Lord, show up. In miraculous ways, please. Please, God, as we look to give Jesus away. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's be reminded of our preached word when Jesus reminded his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless us.